0: Welcome to the Powering Real Estate Podcast. Sessions with top real estate business leaders and their strategies for success. Learn from some of the best in the industry. Join Lee Adkins as he talks to industry leaders on how they build and maintain their real estate business. All right, I'm here today with Justin Levich. How are you, man? I'm good, Lee. Good to talk to you. Good, absolutely, yeah. So you are the president of Arla Real Estate, based in the DC area. Tell us a little bit about Arla uh, as it is today, and then we'll do a little backstory. All right, Arla is got
1: three hundred and seventy agents today. We almost closed two billion in twenty twenty one. No one likes to say almost, but we were so we were twenty million away. We were so close.
0: It's like a rounding type thing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we have six offices,
1: three in DC. Uh, Two in Maryland, one in Arlington. And um, I kind of oversee operations, and we have about 30 staff
0: members. Awesome. And are they distributed evenly between the offices, or do you kind of have a weight on the staff there?
1: Well, I mean, it's 2022.
0: So we've got a lot of hybrid
1: roles going on and people switching off, going in and out of the office. So um, they are distributed across all the offices pretty well, depending on how busy each office gets with agent traffic.
0: Right. Okay. Great. And let's talk a little bit about you and then we'll dig into the evolution of Arla a bit too. So how did you get into real estate and what's what's your story?
1: Born and raised in Dallas suburbs and um, went got my entrepreneurship degree at University of North Texas and didn't have a job by the time I got out of college. And I, I didn't know that was a thing. All my other friends had jobs before graduation. But I started to realize with an entrepreneurship degree, people weren't that interested in hiring me for entry-level jobs. They thought I was just going to go find my own thing. So it's kind of a blessing. Um, backed in to real estate reluctantly. My mother had been in real estate for about seven years prior to that. So joined her team, You know, did it begrudgingly, sold for five years. Then I was asked... Uh, so I worked for Cobble Banker, and NRT office, and then five years into it, I was asked to Take over as managing broker for a struggling office. Uh, I didn't know how struggling it was when I went there and great people and great stuff in place. But within three years, we went from worst to first out of 24 offices in the market. So really exciting. We had some great people around to make that happen. Towards the end of there, I got a random call one day. Well, let me back up. Realogy hired a consultant to go around and teach all the Coldwell Banker managers how to recruit through social media. I was 28 at the time. So, I'm thinking what's some old guy going to teach me about social media. Turned out I got along great with the guy, learned a ton from him even though it wasn't social media type stuff. And then my current business partner had hired him when he was getting ready to leave Title and start this and so we were connected through him. I got a random phone call one day from Jason, my business partner, said, "Would you ever relocate?" And I'm like, "What? Who are you? Where where is does it snow there? Uh, he said. He said it doesn't snow much, and uh, he hmm. lied. <laughs> it's all relative, right? Compared to yeah. Texas. Yeah, yeah. Flew, flew me out here. Uh, we started talking. Really, just hit it off and covered a lot of different stuff. And that was it. That was the birth of our love. I would say it's great. Love it. And When was that? About what year was that? Almost ten years ago. Okay. So it was end of twenty twelve.
0: Nice. That's great. And then, so what did Arlo look like then? So it was existing, right?
1: Yes. Technically, I was a third partner. We now only have the two. We don't have, that's a whole separate podcast. Um, and so, <laughs> Season three. I, yeah. So I actually moved up here when there was already about 10 agents here. Um, so it was kind of just getting off the ground. And it was, um, most of those people are still with us. They were very influential. We call them the OGs at this point because they fell for whatever we were selling them at that point, and uh, somehow they stuck around. So I, I would hope they say that we delivered. So it looked a lot different then. We were, you know, we're part of the Real Living franchise, and so Real Living at Home was more commonly what we were known as. We were red and black logos. We ended up changing our branding and our look a few years in to kind of match what we thought would be more acceptable in this market. No offense to the other colors Um, and that kind of sent us down a different road and I think it was great it was well received it was we have like a a grayscale logo now instead of the red and black and some people don't even know what real living at home is anymore it's just they mispronounce the name and that's totally fine however they want to say it but they know those four letters they see them on signs and that's what matters
0: right no for sure that's awesome Yeah, that makes great sense. I mean, I've been up there. I've seen some of what you've built. I've known you for a while, and uh, yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, you guys—we were—we were kind of joking before. You know, I'm not sure if you guys are medium or big. It depends on what you're comparing it to. But but 370 is is uh is no joke. So that's uh that's impressive. And you're more you're pretty focused on the operations. I mean, you're specifically operations and vendors and technology, and that's that's your thing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think managing the staff is a main focus of mine as well. I do try to lead announcements and provide content for the agents and address their needs. So I need to know what they are seeing out there to try and find out what solutions I can create on the back end, whether that's through education or training or bringing somebody else in or adopting a new technology or building out an existing one, all that stuff. I, I do like to say that I have held every job that we currently have at one point in some way or another. And I think as you start to scale up, you realize that that is such a big job. It requires somebody else to give it the attention it needs. Right. Um, So that's what
0: I do. But doing it yourself, I mean, I'm a big fan of that philosophy too. I mean, you have to understand it before you can delegate it, you know, with pretty much anything. Yeah. I think that that's,
1: yeah. I mean, when it comes to delegation, I, I think I used to be reluctant to delegate almost anything. I think a lot of people in a similar role are. I just noticed that. And I think uh, the light bulb for me is kind of realizing you don't need to have somebody that does something as good or better than you to delegate to them. They just have to be as good or better than you when you first started it. Right, right. So if they're there, you can actually speed them up and give them the shortcuts to do it. And so, yeah, I've delegated a ton of stuff. And to be honest, those people do those jobs and tasks and responsibilities
0: better than I ever did or ever could at this point. Right. So when you're hiring for that, are you looking for teachability? Like what are some of those things that you're looking for? Cause you made a great point there, but, but how do you find that person? Well, that's a good question. I think having passion
1: for whatever the task at hand is, is like a requirement Or we're not going to be able to take you much further you may not have to have a ton of experience in it, but I've got to learn through the interview process that you go to bed at night thinking about that type of task, and you are so hungry to improve in that area and become an expert. And if that's the case, I'm interested in really speeding up that track.
0: Right, because then that's your job as a leader or an owner or whatnot is to then facilitate that.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah, that's great. And then obviously, it sort of goes without saying, but I think it's worth saying, that breeds a culture of that. Because now you've got a bunch of people who are specialized, but also are lifelong learners who are dedicated to getting the job done. Yeah, or to be harsh, it probably isn't going to work out. Right, right. No, you have clarity.
1: With us for, for the long term. And, and I will also say, to be honest, there's people that have grown so much that they've grown and found, I'm talking about staff primarily, they found other opportunities at other places that, you know, maybe you're outside of real estate that fit into really what they wanted. And I'm not saying they used us for a stepping stone, but they grew here. We should be proud of them. And we should find somebody else to fill the role and, and grow just like them and, and add their own stamp and take it in a new direction.
0: Yeah, I think not enough people come at it with that mentality. You know, they are as much as they're glad to finally get out of the role, them filling it they're not prepared for that to either turn over or to, to grow or whatnot. So, you know, it's, it, the whole process is iterative, right? I mean, it's not, we can't just get one person once and then it's, it's done. Right. I think the whole process
1: of scaling up is like that as well. And there'll be a million new roles that we have to delegate out because of that, or we delegate a role out and that role gets so big and starts taking off with stuff that I start to discover this person needs to hire people. Right. That's,
0: that's, that's
1: a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. It, it, it's exciting and terrifying. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. When you can do that, when you train someone who had the passion to do one of these big tasks better than you ever could, and they take it to a place that you weren't going to be able to take it anyways, and then they need help. And now they're doing the same thing you did to them, to other people. If I could just do that all day, I would, I would be totally fulfilled professional.
0: For sure. no, that's super rewarding, but I think giving people that that mindset that that is a thing is the first step. Yeah. Well, I think you can, you can, some people say it. I think if
1: you've been part of our brokerage over the past 10 years, I can say it, but you see it. I mean, if you even worked here for a year, you saw the growth in everything and listings and agent count and offices and staff. And it, if you're not growing, you're dying. I know that's harsh, but I think that Everybody here sees that and feels that really within within six months, you probably notice that.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes great sense, great sense. But that is, I mean, you've got to be able to do that to go from 10 agents to 370. Like that is just kind of period end of story. So what are some key indicators of that growth? Is it hiring more staff? Is it another office? I mean, I'm sure it's all those things, but like when that hack happens incrementally like what are some maybe some leading indicators of like oh we need another person or we need another office or whatever yeah well
1: i don't want to surprise anybody but there's not a special formula for it <laughs> i wish there was i try to come up with what those baselines would be after the fact which probably isn't right isn't really healthy you know i would say it really is all organic but we we set goals we know what we want to do and the offices usually aren't within the goals that we set just kind of happens where we absolutely need something there because this office is overflowing or when we look on when we look at our sales and we see there's a, a county or a city or a neighborhood that we are doing so much business in and we don't even have you know a brick and mortar presence there when we are i think the virtual concepts are great but i think that Parla agents like the brick and mortar office. They like going into the office. They like the camaraderie that's there. So we are kind of a brick and mortar shop type thing. Then we know we have to go to one of those places to support it. And there's a lot of compelling reasons to make it happen besides
0: that, that I can think of in my head. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. And, and, you know, it's funny, we were talking a little bit before about what we wanted to cover and I mean, there's a million things I'd love to tackle with you, but there are a couple of things that stood out that were, they're not the super sexy things. They're not the things that everybody wants to talk about, but I think that's, that's really important. So I think let's go in that direction a little bit. And one of the things you mentioned is, is like minimum production standards. And I don't know if, if that's something you guys have as a true, like, like a true, like if you're below this number or if it's kind of a, Hey, it doesn't make sense if you're at that, but talk a little bit about your minimum production. Well, it doesn't really make sense
1: for us to have a license with us that somebody that's just ready to sell a couple homes a year. So our minimum standard of production, we just raised it for the first time ever, and it's five units or $3 million in volume a year. Now, we know what our fixed costs are per agent. You know, that's up to us. And maybe it's a little too high for some people. And that, that's fair we know what our agents want and we want to keep improving on that kind of stuff. But I think it helps with the culture in a positive way where the agents really know that we have a a very professional trying to build your business type culture. Nobody's, nobody's just doing it as a fun part-time thing. Everyone's taking it very seriously. And I think they want to know that because they know that one Arla agent really is a representation of the other 300 plus. Now, We're not so strict about it where there's not like some type of exceptions, right? So if it's your first year in the business and you join us, you have a first year exemption. Now, a lot of our first year agents totally pass that. Uh, Sometimes there's hardships that happen. If you're on a team and you don't have the production in your name, we send out these notices actually to the team leader with a message on there to just say, hey, for all we know, this person's helping you. Sell your two hundred units a year. So if you're cool with them, we're cool with them. We're just letting you know their license is here, and they didn't meet that. So up to you if you want to pass it on. If you want management to help you, talk to the team and maybe or to the team member and be a bad cop. Like we'll offer that too. Otherwise, if you say John Doe is great, we love John Doe here, and that's that's how we look at it. If you didn't reach that amount, you know we're sending out a thing in June, the halfway mark. Hey, just to let you know, reminder of this, you're currently not on track to hit it, but we have all these things that we want to help you with to make sure that you not only hit it, that you surpass it. So we're not pointing fingers and saying you suck. It's not that at all. People
0: got stuff going on. For sure. And that's the key. And that's where I was headed. I'm glad you brought that up. I was headed that way anyway. Like what happens when that it's trending that way? And I I knew the answer was that, that you helped them. But it's important. I mean, the reality of it is, a lot of people get into real estate to not have any accountability. Yeah, and that or work for themselves to not have any accountability. But people need just a little bit. I mean, you don't need to tell them they have to be there at nine o'clock every day, but just a check in, you know? Yeah, we're not. Do- if you're if you're not
1: making money, right? It's yeah, not good for anyone. That's an easy one. I mean, sometimes we're like, look at what you're paying in in these bills to the association and stuff like that, and like, how are you making it?
0: Especially up there, you got to be licensed in nine different jurisdictions. Three jurisdictions.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to keep up with. So sometimes it's just asking the question, reaching out to them. And I mean, you should be able to, everyone on staff should find opportunities to talk to every agent you have, regardless of size at some point. And it gets harder as we grow, but those are sometimes good excuses for me to call people and just say, Hey, what's going on? I'm not here to keep you out. I'm here to make sure that you know, we have a referral network. Maybe that's way more cost effective for you. We like you. We like seeing you around.
0: We have this standard, and here's why. What can we do to help you? Yeah, that makes great sense. And that occurs. Something that occurs to me that I don't know about your model. Do you guys have a broker in every office, or like an office manager in every office? Like, is there kind of a point person per office, or is it still more? Yeah,
1: we don't. Um, we have Jason and myself. We have two managing brokers, and then we have we we have a lot of staff, but a lot of them specialize in other things. So we have marketing, we have finance, we have web developers, your graphic designers, and so agents reach out to them specifically. I will say there's a a lot of times they don't know where to go. They just come to to me or someone else on leadership. You know, which which is fine, but like I said earlier, though. I can try to help you with these things. These people are better. So I'll tell you what I think. But here's a specialist
0: that we've hired for that. That's great. I, I love that. That That's super cool. And I, I think um, I, I know a few people that have minimum production standards and I think they make perfect sense. It, it just even kind of sounds scary though. But I think part of the reason it sounds scary is we don't talk about it enough. For like, everybody's like, oh no. Well, to your point earlier, what if they're this? What if it's a team member? What if it's, and it's easy to make, exceptions for the right people, but it's better to make that exception and have a good standard than it is to just for everything to be an exception. I think so. And if you if you
1: created a, a real estate model where your cost per agent is super low, and a lot of people are figuring out ways to do that, and that that's great, then in that case, it makes sense to get as many licensees as possible. But my opinion is that that reputation within the real estate community, within the local community of consumers is too important to take that chance. You know, we don't need someone to just sell a couple deals a year and then get us into some liability trouble because we don't know anything else except to dive in and like fight with you on everything and give it our all. So it just wouldn't mix with somebody who's... and I, I don't want to sound negative here, but if you're taking the real estate industry half ass and our entire model is to just like over-support and do whatever we can for you, those things aren't congruent.
0: I can tell you right now that will not go well.
1: Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. We got someone who, who could get in trouble. They got a legal issue and they just don't care. But we're like, well, what? What? No, we're, we're on the other line with the attorney right now. By we're definition, in-
0: that's your problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and I appreciate you talking about that because again, not, not a lot of people, you know, that's it's easy to skip over that stuff and talk about how great we are about the other stuff, but you know, it's part of part of the gig, part of running running a company, you know, regardless. Another thing that we talked a little bit about that I think is great is like, how do you not act on every idea, and they might even be great ideas, but like, how do you like? Do you guys have a process for Determining what ideas you're going to act on. Like, are we going to add this tool? Are we not going to add this tool? Like, tell me a little bit about that decision process.
1: Yeah, I probably turn down way more ideas than we run with. And sometimes they could be good ideas. I think that I don't want to be kind of good at a lot of things, I want to be really good at things. And I would actually say that at least staff and like a lot of our um, top producing agents that have been with me for a while would probably joke to say, you know, Justin pokes holes in every idea we have. And sometimes they come to me to do that. I'm not trying to destroy the ideas. I just, I think I am project oriented on how do we actually execute that from start to finish? Right, organization wide. Yeah, so I'd, I'd rather look at it that way. But I will say every idea that comes to me, I listen and I take note of it. I actually keep it everywhere. I have lists of every idea ever. And so they're still on the back burner. And a lot of times what happens is they get revisited because someone else will come back to me and say, Hey, we really need, you know, a system that does something like this. And I think, you know what? I have been thinking about that. I wrote down a couple of notes of some things that I think could work with that. Let's talk about it. What would you need? How would that work? And that sometimes sparks me to actually like draw out the entire mapping of it and explore it a little further.
0: Well, and, and to be fair, I mean, that makes perfect sense because if you have multiple people bringing up a similar idea, then it's a little more apparent there's a need for it. And look for both of us, I mean, we've both probably been in our production for a long time. So it, it is different to be out there doing the business. You do have a different perspective. That that said, it doesn't mean that you need all the things you think you need. But yeah, if you have five agents saying something similar, it's time to at least dig a yeah. little deeper. Yeah,
1: I will give one interesting example without getting too much into the weeds. I had um, our developer services director. He mostly works with developers and new construction. He had a need, came to me a while ago, and said, "You know, he's making these amazing marketing pitches. He goes pitches them to like a." A developer for a, a multi-family unit and if for some reason he doesn't get it we end up seeing that the marketing plan was executed you know verbatim on what he shared so he said how do i share this like stuff and have it like detonate not detonate but you
0: know. <laughs> Are you using snapchat don't tell me you're using snapchat
1: <laughs> no but something similar to that like how does he get it where he can send an email and have it all removed later um and then a little bit before that, one of one of our recruiters said, hey, I don't feel great emailing these proposals to agents and having them share it with other people or shopping the offer and bringing it back around. So uh, both of them had a similar need for a product I came across and put on that long list I had. And that kind of nudged me to say, hey, we got to figure out how to go get this, implement it for our staff to be able to use. And that that's an example of two different people come
0: with the same idea and us just having to move forward with it for different purposes too. But I think as a leader, it, it, there's two pieces to that. One is just hearing out what people need. It doesn't mean you're gonna run and do everything, but just hearing, yeah. I have this yeah. pain point and I need to tell somebody. It's not even that they necessarily expected a, a it to be an immediate fix or answer. Yeah, I don't think either of them did in that instance. I don't think they thought I was gonna solve it. Right. Well, and then, and then again, you know, part of the the blessing and the curse of being in management leadership is that you're not doing the day-to-day activity. So you're not feeling all the same pain. So we don't always know the perfect answer just because we're sitting at a desk. <laughs> right. And it's, it's still, there's still pain though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I shouldn't over glorify it, but well, and then that said, so speaking of adding new tools, picking new tools, like deciding what to use, I guess kind of a two-part question, like. Number one, how you how do you evaluate things that you are gonna add potentially brokerage wide, whether it's software or an offering. And then I guess on the flip side, the second the B side to that is then how do you get people to use it once you finally do the thing that they've been asking for? Right. Well, if, if it's a, a brokerage wide thing, you know, I, I admit I haven't sold
1: a house in, you know, 13 years. So I have to be really in touch with kind of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. I have to know the current tools that they're using already to even identify those pain points because you never want someone to come to you with a pain point that you actually have something or the MLS provides something that totally solves that. And you just run down a, let's invest, you know, $100,000 in a tool just because this person wanted that. So you have to know the landscape already. I sit through a lot of demos for things. I have great great staff around me also that can sit through those demos first and tell me if i'm gonna be interested in those thank goodness i I sit through a, a few less now and then i'm a big believer in beta testing it uh if you can get some type of i guess as i talk i'm mostly thinking of like tech softwares but there's a lot of other things too but we can use them for example purposes so how do you get buy-in? How do you have other people, maybe some some beta testers that are agents that you can really have share feedback that you know would be top users of it? And if they don't love it, you already figure a lot out with that. Beta testing for stuff we're building internally is a requirement, I would say, because I think when you build it in-house, it actually costs more money and more time.
0: Well, and there's no outsource customer service and all that. so. No,
1: no. And I think we have a good mix of, of both. I understand the schools of thought on both of those and then getting the adoption. You know, if you already have some of that buy-in it's, I think expecting hundred percent adoption on anything is you're just setting yourself up for failure. I just don't think it happens, but setting the right expectations for that. And then the other thing is do you need it for as many agents as you have? You know, so if there's an opportunity to take out license seats a certain amount and grow from that and get the vendor included in on that, if the vendor is anti doing that, I would have some questions that shows that they're nervous about adoption of the product there. And they might say, well, you might not be as good as getting adoption on it. That's fair. They don't know me. I think that if we have something that provides value to the agents I will find a way to make it so simple and easy for them to see the value in it. We'll put it right in front of their face where they just have to press a button to do it. But sometimes they just don't see the value in it. And we try to, you know, I guess because people want to hear benchmarks, right? I guess sometimes it depends on the cost. But honestly, if you had a tech tool and 40% of the brokerage was using it, I'd say that's pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I would definitely agree. I mean, that's a solid uh that's that's a solid number. But, you know, and then yeah, to that point that potentially affects the scalability of your business, right? Because if like, well, this, some of this office uses it, or only these people use it, or only the younger agents use it, or whatever, like it just once again just becomes another thing that's not super congruent across the business. Totally. And I do think when you have a
1: superstar agent using something, agents are very monkey see monkey do <laughs> right. on what they see out there. And there's nothing wrong right. with doing that. They're like, wait, that person sold more homes than me. What are they doing? Yeah. And so they watch everything right. they're doing. So how do you showcase that
0: to other agents? Well, that speaks back to the beta group and then having almost like a, like a case study internally. It's like, oh, well this guy used it and he got 10 more listings. Yeah. I think once they see that, then they at least try
1: to explore it and look into it. I admit I hate sounding like a broken record when people reach out sometimes with the same issues over and over again. And I try to not say it with any attitude, but I'm like, have you tried XYZ yet that we spent so much money on for you after you asked for it a couple of years ago? Uh, We try to redirect them to it. And then also like some people just want one-on-one handholding for things like that. But I can guarantee you we have like a loom video or something on file for every action you could ever want to do for every tool we have. And staff all knows that if you talk to somebody more than once, it's going to get asked again.
0: How's it in the Internet? Make sure that they can find that at 3 a.m. in the morning. Totally. No, I'm a big fan of those sort of things, too. But I think you make a great point. You have to have both. You have to have on demand stuff that is findable whether it's like a wiki type thing or whatever, just something that's easy to find, what they need, when they need it. But you still definitely have to have the support. If every call is, oh, check the internet, check, oh, here's a knowledge base article, like that doesn't feel good either. So that that delicate dance is so important.
1: Yeah, we're not Google. Right this sends you to a different you know you can't really talk to somebody there in most cases and i see how frustrated i get and other people get with that when sometimes you just need to talk to somebody
0: right like yes i restarted it i got i got that part <laughs> you know, right. what is the next you know what is the exactly. next after that part right <laughs> so no that's uh that that is funny but again the the bigger you get the more you can't just we're going to try this thing and that thing and this thing and hope that somehow they get patched together. But, but no, I I think it's really great. I I think it's, it's really impressive what you guys have built. I'm trying to think of some other pieces. I know there's more questions I want to ask you. I don't want to go. And I think, I think what we covered was so great. I don't want to get too far away from those, but are there other things that kind of in your day to day or like pain points of growth that, you know, words of wisdom for somebody who's a couple hundred agents smaller than you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, like deciding when you need a new position, when you need to create a new one that you haven't had before, I think has been a learning curve for us. But I would say some of the best, one of the most impactful things I ever spearheaded was creating a hiring process for our staff. And because it is so detailed, you know, anyone that's in a hiring manager position goes through it the same way. We can all help each other because we know the formula for it. And I say that because as you're as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking creating job descriptions. If you can't create the job description, then why are you going to hire the person? You know, I, and I think, I hear so many times agents are like, I need an assistant. And I think sometimes just with asking a few questions, you can find out if that's really the case or not. And. So coming up with an actual job description, what's this person going to do? Especially if you haven't managed someone before, there's a ton of different management styles and a lot of different ones work really well. But I think that people who haven't managed before haven't had that feeling of, what am I paying this person to do today? And that's a horrible feeling to have because they're getting paid no matter what. And now before you even start your workday, you have to tell them what to do unless you're setting up parameters for what they have to do all the time. So managing people early on is really tough, um, especially in a new position. So I think like you better have months worth of work for them already before you actually put out a job posting to bring them in. And unfortunately to get to that point means you were probably already stretched so thin doing those roles. So hiring's not easy right now. It's the job market's even tougher for employers to go out and do that. But I do think that having a stru- knowing how to write a job description is probably, in my opinion, the most influential
0: part in making the right hire. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I encourage people to do the same, like write down all those things. You know, the other thing I see people do a lot is they hire people like them. They're like, oh, I like this guy. it's like, right, but you don't need another you, you need somebody that loves paperwork so you can go right around, you know? I would say I I used to do that the wrong way too. Yeah, I think we all did. I think the only difference is we've we've done it enough that we're like, "Oh, I'm not going to do that next time."
1: Unfortunately, I don't think you can teach somebody that. They they kind of have to learn it on their own. And so, I think if you you're going to learn something no matter what, hiring somebody, let's just hope it doesn't set you back.
0: Yeah, well, I think and real quick on the agent side, I think it's there's a lot of important pieces, right? I, I think it, it's is this a marketing thing? Is this an operations thing? Is this an administrative? Like getting that clarity. Is it a licensee? Is there one person that can do this? Like you're probably not going to find an ops person that can also be a graphic designer that also loves doing paperwork. Like that's not a. It's a pretty rare human.
1: That's a really rare human. Um, I I usually. I'd like to see agents who think they want to branch out and grow that, you know, their staff, like, do they, have they hired out a transaction coordinator yet? I feel like that's a good first step. You know, that's someone who's already a specialist in what they do. It's task oriented. Can that buy you back an hour a week? Because even that is super valuable for what you're doing. You know, all these, when people try to cut their time in half, I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm going in 15 minute increments.
0: Right. Right. Give me, give me, give me 5%. (laughs) Yeah. Like when
1: that starts to compound, you can do so much more on your end. So look for those 15 minute increments that people can take off your week and once those compound, you're in a good spot.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then I guess the other flip side of that is I'm a big fan. I'd love to get your perspective on this since you guys have done it more on the staff and brokerage level, you know, I like hiring people out of industry. You've obviously got to have bandwidth to to train them or teach them this. But to me, it's interesting to see people that have come in from either a corporate background where they are used to like agended meetings or we do, you know, I, I think that's interesting. It's not always, it doesn't always work. It depends on the role. I'd be curious to hear your, your uh, background on that. You know, most
1: of our staff is out of industry. Uh, I think when it comes to managing broker, that's something that, Probably, I don't want to say always has to be, but like that's they
0: need the experience. Probably,
1: yeah, it's difficult to not have that experience. Our EVP of marketing from outside the industry, our um, PR specialist outside the industry, and then most of our graphic designers. You know, it's the other way. They're they're obviously outside of the industry, but we're trying to make sure that they can still be creative when they're just making property flyers and real estate stuff. I'm always worried they're going to just understand the language. So I try to throw them creative projects as much as possible that still fall in line with it. Otherwise, I'm afraid they'll, they'll get bored. It'll show in their work and they'll say, oh,
0: I'd rather go somewhere else and do something I'm passionate about. So that's great. I love it. No, that's great. I, I love that we touched on some things that just people, they aren't the sexy, fun things that everybody always talks about, but they're really important aspects of running the business. And I appreciate you digging into that with me. Anyway, any uh, any final words for people that might be uh, listening?
1: If my Texas accent came out, it's because Lee has a Southern accent as well.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. We won't we won't judge you too much on that.
1: No, always
0: happy to talk with you. I
1: feel like we could just talk for hours on operations and real estate stuff. So um, thanks for having me on here and caring about what I say. I I always learn from you when we talk too. So
0: the pleasure's been mine. Awesome. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Justin. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy listening to Powering Real Estate, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Subscribes and reviews help other people find us and allow us to keep interviewing top industry experts. If you're looking for a customized solution for your Follow-Up Boss account or wanting a free assessment of your account, visit amplifiedsolutions.com. There you can also find free resources and link with us.